Numbers 21, I'm going to read from verse 4 through 9, and then I want you to jump to the New Testament, to the book of John, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Not the famous 16. We all know that one. I want to focus on 15 and 16. Uh, I'm going to be just a little while, and then we're going to do one of my favorite things, which is to dedicate a child unto the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Numbers 21, beginning at verse number 4. When you have it, shout amen like you're ready to get into God's word. We read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the word of the Lord says this so. And they journeyed from Mount Or, by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Have you ever been discouraged because of the journey? And the people spake against God. I hope that didn't happen. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. They were complaining about the provision that God was providing in the wilderness. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Here is a picture of the consequences of sin. Amen. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh up upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Woo. The text said that God told him, in order to deal with the serpents, you have to make a serpent. He said, beat it. Beat it until it looks like the thing that bit you. And so I want to talk for a little while under the subject. Beaten for the bitten. Beaten for the bitten. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, add blessing to your word now. Minister to your people in a powerful way. We give you glory and honor for what you're about to do in this place now. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. When I look at this particular text, hallelujah, two things that stand out to me very quickly that I want to deal with today. Number one is the snake. Number two is the stick. Number one is the snake. <clears throat> Number two is the stick. Now, if you look at these two images right here, you're going to see that they are a theme that are going to run through the pages of your whole Bible. Amen. When we're talking about a snake or when we're talking about a serpent, a serpent, we can go all the way to the beginning. Amen. We can go all the way to Genesis, hallelujah, where you find a serpent, hallelujah, 
who according to scripture beguiled the woman or beguiled Eve, amen? At the same time, in that story, you're also going to see a tree, amen, somebody? If you continue through the pages of the Bible, you'll, you'll end up somewhere in Jeremiah chapter 17, where the Bible also talks about, hallelujah, how serpents were going to bite the people, amen? And the question was going to be asked, is there a bomb in Gilead? In other words, is there a cure for this. And as you continue to read now in Numbers, hallelujah, uh, chapter 21, you also see a picture of serpents. If we move on to the New Testament, somewhere in the book of Acts, hallelujah, you're going to find the apostle Paul, who's responsible for writing most of the New Testament, where he gets bitten by a snake. And he just happened to have a stick in his hand. He actually was putting sticks into the fire when this serpent bites him. And so watch this. These are places in the scripture that talk about literal serpents. Hallelujah. But there are also serpents that are figurative. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. People can be serpents. People can be snakes. Watch this. Judas was a snake. Amen, somebody. When you think about somebody like Delilah, Delilah was a snake. Snakes are usually people, hallelujah, who sell other people out. Are you in this place, church? And so watch this. You're going to see, hallelujah, snakes referenced often in the Bible. When it comes to the stick, you're going to see wood in general, hallelujah, referenced throughout your Bible. Amen, somebody? Uh, when you think about Moses, the Bible says Moses had a staff. He had a stick. Amen. When he threw it on the ground, does anybody know what it became? It became a snake. And here again, you see the picture of the stick and the snake. Hallelujah. But since we're talking about the stick for a moment, later on, hallelujah, while the people are in the wilderness, they get to a place, hallelujah, called Mara, where the water was bitter. And if anyone drank the water, they would die. Hallelujah. So God instructs Moses to take a stick and throw it into the water. When he throws it into the water, the bitter waters become Sweet. Amen. If you were here last week, we talked about a prophet, hallelujah, whose name was Elisha, who had a company of student prophets that were building. And one of them, as he was swinging an axe, lost the axe head and it fell in the Jordan River. So what does the prophet do? The Bible says that he takes a stick, throws it in the Jordan, and it makes the axe head Flow, Amen. And so again, you know, time after time, you're going to see the picture of the stick. Wood in the Bible is very significant. Hallelujah. It is usually the material used for deliverance. Amen. When you think about the very beginning and you think about how the people survived the global flood, it was because God told a man named Noah, build an ark and build it out of a, out of a particular kind of of wood. Come on, somebody. Later on, when God wanted to dwell in the midst of his people, he challenged Moses to build a tabernacle and then further challenged him to build a box called the Ark of the Covenant, where God was going to dwell. And it was built out of wood. And if we continue on down the line, we eventually get to the cross, which is a tree, a, a piece of wood that God uses as material for deliverance. So throughout the scriptures, you are going to see the theme of the stick and the snake. But let me just submit to you that the stick and the snake are symbols. I said they are symbols. And there is a difference between the symbol and what the symbol represents. I said there is a difference between the symbol and what the symbol represents. 
oftentimes in your Bible, hallelujah, you're going to notice, for example, that there are many things that are symbolic. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When we're talking about God's precious Holy Spirit, the Bible has many symbols for the Holy Spirit. You know, you have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When talking about the Holy Spirit, there are many symbols in the Bible. For example, wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In the third chapter that we quoted a moment ago, hallelujah, uh, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus, who, and he's telling him, you have to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Nicodemus is like, what do you mean born again? Do I have to re-enter my mother's womb and come out again? I don't get it. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's how you were born the first time, out of the flesh. But you have to be born again of the Spirit. And he lets him know, hallelujah, that the spirit cannot be seen, but you will see its effects. It's like when you see the leaves being blown, hallelujah, you know that the wind is there. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? So wind is a symbol of the spirit. Fire is a symbol of the spirit in your Bible. The dove is a symbol of the spirit in the Bible. When the dove descends upon Jesus, it is a picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon the man of the, the son of man. Oil is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So here you have at least five symbols, hallelujah, of what the Holy Spirit is a reality. But there is a difference between the symbol and what it represents. Are you with me so far in this place? Hallelujah. So watch this. The snake in scripture is a symbol. Yeah. The snake is a symbol. The snake is a symbol of all that is evil. It represents everything that is evil. Now, doesn't that look evil? Hallelujah. The serpent is a representation or a symbol of everything that is evil. The snake in Genesis is a symbol of Satan himself. Amen. Represents everything that is not of God, everything that is satanic are you in this place hallelujah i'm reminded of when moses takes the staff and throws it before pharaoh's courts the bible says that it became a snake and the minute it became a snake moses jumped back and ran away from it hallelujah because that thing is evil amen somebody when we talk about the cross understand that the cross is a symbol now if i walked around the room and asked you what do you believe the cross is a symbol of i wonder what you would say some of you will probably say the cross is a symbol of deliverance. The cross is a symbol of salvation. The cross is a symbol of love. Amen? Uh, while others, or, or you might say the cross is a symbol of blessing. While others might say the cross is a symbol of judgment. Others might say that the cross is a symbol, a symbol of wrath and anger. And the cross is a symbol of cursing. Because the Bible says, uh, cursed is the man who dies upon the tree. Amen? And so here's the thing, hallelujah. Is anybody wrong? No, you're both right. It's just a question, hallelujah, of how you look at it or from where you look at it. Because I believe that there is both a heavenly perspective and then there's an earthly perspective. And so if you're looking from an earthly perspective, you recognize that the cross is a way of deliverance. You recognize that the cross is a blessing and you recognize that it is a way unto salvation. Amen? But if you have a God's eye view of the cross, hallelujah, and you understand Isaiah 53 where it says that he is smitten of God and that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son, you understand that the cross, hallelujah, is also a picture of judgment and that it is a picture of the wrath of God executing judgment upon sin. 
Amen, somebody. So both of you are correct. It's just a matter of how or from where you look at it. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah, Jesus. So anyway, let's get into this text a little bit. Hallelujah. The Bible says, watch this, that the people had sinned against the Lord, and not just the Lord, but against Moses, their leader. Amen. You know the story. We read a little bit of it. They were murmuring and complaining. They were complaining about the provision of God. Amen. God was supernaturally supplying bread from heaven. Isn't that amazing? Manna, bread, was falling from heaven. To feed the people in the desert because there was no food in the desert. But how many of you know, like anything else, you can become familiar with a thing. You can become familiar, watch this, with the, with, with the person or the presence of God. You can become familiar with your spouse. There is a term for that, and even in the divorce court, hallelujah, when two people get familiar with each other's love, and all of a sudden, hallelujah, they don't get along anymore. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? You never want to make that mistake with your spouse. You never want to make that mistake with the presence of God. But when we're talking about a subject like we're talking about today, if you're not careful, you've been serving the Lord a long time, you can become familiar with what God has done for you. Are you in this place? And so watch this. God is supernaturally feeding them, and they start complaining. This manna don't taste like nothing. This thing is bland. We want meat. And so they start complaining. Not only do they complain uh, or, or speak against God, they speak about Moses. They say, Moses, what did you do? Why did you free us from Egypt? We were better off. We were better off in Egypt. Some of us don't understand, but sometimes the conflict doesn't begin until he sets you free. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's when the real battle begins. Amen. Hallelujah. And watch this. Uh, they said, uh, we, we need another leader. They even contemplated stoning Moses on one time uh, and determining we need somebody else to lead us. And they spoke against him. Watch this. But now they come to him and they say, we have sinned. Pray for us. Now, here's the thing that gets me about the text. Hallelujah. Nobody starts confessing that they have sinned until people start dying. When nobody died, when everybody was still alive, nobody was talking about we have sinned. Amen? But the minute people started dropping to the ground, all of a sudden they said, we have sinned. Not only did they confess that they had sinned, they go to Moses now and they say, pray for us. Now, Moses is a certain kind of man. Let me tell you, I got to give him a lot of props, hallelujah, because Moses knows that the people have been speaking against him. And so watch this. Moses could, could have been somebody else and easily turned around and said, I ain't praying for you. Uh, you want me to pray for you after you were talking about me? You want me to pray for you after you back bit, hallelujah, uh, despise my leadership, question my decisions, hallelujah, didn't like the decisions that I was making, and now you want me to pray for you? If he was somebody else, he would have been like, pray for yourself. I ain't praying for you, but watch this. This is why everybody can't be a leader. Ah, I said, this is why everybody can't be a leader, and this is why everybody can't lead. Because oftentimes, God will challenge the leader to pray for the very people who were trying to hurt you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it takes a certain kind of leader to still stand in the gap and not pray about the people, but pray for the people so that they can be healed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In this place. So it says something about the leader. Hallelujah. Moses is that kind of leader. And the Bible says, watch this, that he prayed for them. Woo, man. 
You know, it took, it, took, it took a little swallowing of the pride for the people to go to him in the first place. Ain't nothing like a little trouble to make you honest. I said, ain't nothing like a little trouble to make you honest, hallelujah, because oftentimes it's not till push comes to shove, hallelujah, that you can then confess or at least come to God and say, I have sinned. Amen, somebody. And so they said, pray for us and Moses, being the leader that he is, he prays for them. I'm reminded of when Job, on another occasion, in a different story, prays for the very individuals who are talking about him. And while he prays for them, he receives his healing. Isn't that powerful? Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Moses prayed to God. And I can only imagine what that prayer looks like because around the whole camp, people are being snake bitten. Amen. Hallelujah. And they're falling and many are dying and many are on their way to die because the poison is in them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I can imagine Moses saying something like, God, how do we stop the dying in our community? I wonder if that's a prayer that anybody has prayed. Hallelujah. In general, God, how do we stop the killing? How do we stop the dying that's taking place in all of our communities throughout the world. I don't want to live with these snakes. They're all around me and I can't get rid of any of them. Hallelujah. Snakes everywhere. The people are dying because they have been snake bitten. And watch this. It's not so much the bite as much as it is the poison that's coming through the bite. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the people are being infected. You see, what you have to understand is that the poison is in the mouth. I said the poison is in the mouth. If I went back to Genesis and I showed you, hallelujah, Genesis chapter 3, where, where the serpent beguiles Eve, he never bit her literally. He just bit into her mind. And watch this transferred poison with his words because the poison is in the mouth. Amen. And here's what you have to understand about this particular story. The people are on the floor because serpents have bit them and now there's poison in the body. And so here's what you have to catch up because some of us might be saying, you know what, but I'm in church and I'm saved, blood washed, sanctified. Amen. I have already looked at the sun that has been lifted up and my sins have been washed away. Amen. But make no mistake, Satan is still in the business of infecting the body with poison. And Satan, hallelujah, still uses his mouth to transmit venom into the body of Jesus Christ. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Woo. The people are dying because they have been snake bitten. Amen. And they are getting their venom in the people. And Moses is praying, how do we get the poison out of the people? And how do we get rid of these snakes? These snakes are after my children. These snakes are after my marriage. These snakes are after my money. These snakes are after my ministry. These snakes are after my mind. And Moses is praying that they would turn the people loose. But yet the people 
are dying. Are you in this place, church? Moses prays, God, make them go away. And God speaks to Moses and says, make one. Stay with me now. Watch this. Moses prays, make the snakes go away. And God says, Moses, make a snake. And, and, and I got to stop there for a second. And anybody who likes to read their Bible and likes to study would stop right there because the question would be, I don't get that. Because why a snake against a snake? That almost don't make sense. Come on, somebody. Why a snake against a snake? Why didn't he tell me, watch this, to, to, to build a dove? Why not a dove, hallelujah, to come against the snake? Come on, somebody. Uh, why not an eagle? Why not a huge eagle that will come into the camp and snatch the snake and take the snakes or the snakes outside of the camp? Why not a lion, something ferocious that will bite the heads off of the snakes and deal with the issue once and for all? Why a snake? If I want to get rid of a snake, why does God tell Moses to build a snake out of brass? And what if I told you today that the solution is in the problem? Now, oftentimes that somebody, somebody in here has lived a little bit can probably testify that often the solution is actually inside of the problem. Amen, somebody. Why not something good? Why not something perfect? Let me submit to you that we've done that already. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 3. Hallelujah. We used to live under an old covenant, hallelujah, that was, watch this, the Old Testament law. Amen, somebody. Watch this. Right now we're living under a new covenant, but let me just talk to you about this very quickly. Listen to what the Bible says. For what the law could not do. For what the law, now watch this, was, was there a problem with the law? Was there an issue with the law? No, there was no issue with the law. As a matter of fact, the law was perfect, the law was good, and the law was holy. But the law didn't have the power to make you holy, make you good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. All the law did was confirm that we were sick. Ain't nobody saying nothing. You need to catch a picture of what's going on in this camp. The people have been bitten. It is a picture of sin. Because of sin, the people have been bitten, and now they have the venom of sin inside of them. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody here better than anybody else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There ain't not one person that has the power, hallelujah, to call themselves good or take any credit for their salvation. There isn't not one person that could get to heaven on their own merit, hallelujah. If one person can get to heaven because they were so good, then Jesus coming and dying is in vain. Are you here? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is why the Bible said that you are saved by grace, grace, unmerited favor, unearned, hallelujah, favor. It is, watch this, through faith. It is the gift of God. Uh-oh, it is the gift of God. If it's a gift, hallelujah, that means you can't earn it. If you have to earn it, it ceases to be a gift. It is a gift. It's, it has already been provided. All you have to do is receive the gift. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. Watch this. It is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not going to be able to take credit for getting to heaven. Because if we could, we would boast. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? It is the gift of God. So that text says, look, for what the law could not do. The law was a mirror. The law simply showed me my marks, my, my blotches. The, the law confirmed, hallelujah, that I am a sinner in desperate need of a savior because I could not keep the Ten Commandments in my own power. This is why religion doesn't work. If all you do is tell a person you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that, hallelujah, that's not freedom. That's torture. I said that's torture because if you tell, watch this, if somebody's struggling with alcohol and you tell them you can't drink and all they do is, ah, I can't do it, ah, I can't do it, I want it, ah, but I can't do it. Sooner or later, you're going to run out of strength. But when you're really saved, when you're really delivered through God's grace, hallelujah, you're not only not trying to do it, you don't need it. That's real freedom. My Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So watch this now. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son, watch this now, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. And so look at how powerful that is. Moses, watch this, if you want to deal with the snakes, watch this, take a piece of brass and beat it until it becomes or looks like the thing that bit the people. In other words, watch this, the Bible puts it like this, he who knew no sin became sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Woo! So watch this. If the snake originally is a picture of sin, watch this. In order to deal with the snake, he had to become sin in order to deliver us. Woo! My God. He became it without doing it. That's a powerful God right there. I say he became it without doing it. It doesn't mean that he sinned. Only a God could become sin without doing sin so that we could be free from sin. Help me in here. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. Take a piece of brass, Moses, and beat it until it looks like the thing that bit the people. The beating, hallelujah, of the brass represents judgment. Are you with me so far? He said, beat it and then lift it. Beat it and then lift it. Beat it and then lift it. Oh, God. Anybody in here know where I'm going? Beat it. And matter of fact, hallelujah, when we talk about the beating that Jesus took or when we talk about the suffering of Christ, understand, hallelujah, most doctors could tell you today, hallelujah, that what Jesus went through before he got on the cross should have killed him. I said the suffering that Jesus went through before he got on the cross should have killed him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? For those of you who don't know, hallelujah, the Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. Did you hear what I just said? He was beaten beyond recognition. How many of you seen the passion of the Christ? Talk back to me, somebody. Right? You, some of you don't like watching that because it's too gory, right? I still could recognize him after they beat him. You're not hearing me. 
I said, even in that movie, I could still recognize him after they beat him. My Bible says he was beaten beyond recognition. You could no longer recognize. They put a sheet over his head and started pounding him, talking about prophesy, who hit you? If that wasn't enough, they ripped his beard off of his face. If that wasn't enough, hallelujah, they spit at him. They put a crown of thorns, hallelujah, on his head until it protruded his skull. You don't hear me. Watch this, hallelujah. And if that wasn't enough, they took a cat, a cat of uh, nine tails, a, 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 a whip, hallelujah, that had pieces of wood and metal on it. And so every time they hit his back and yanked that thing, they ripped open his flesh. And so he had wounds, hallelujah, that were wide open open and so the reality is he would have bled out he should have bled out and died hallelujah but if he would have died hallelujah he wouldn't have been lifted up and if he wouldn't have been lifted up we would still be in our dilemma hallelujah and so your God is so powerful in that while he should have died when death came early he said wait in other words he told death not yet because I'm not finished if I die now they'll stay dead hallelujah but if I'm lifted up my Bible says that if my name be lifted up I will draw all men unto myself hallelujah if you're in this place give them praise so listen watch this in essence he's saying I'm going to cure you with what you're dying from. I'm going to cure you with what you're dying from. Woo! They were bit, watch this, from the venom of a snake. But the antidote is coming from the same stuff that's killing you. So, so, see, some of, you, some of you are not getting it. Hallelujah. But watch this. We do that today. We do that today. We create serum, God help me in here, or antidotes from venom, from the very poison. Some of you are still looking at me funny. Okay. Uh, what is a flu shot? Come on, come on, church. What is a flu shot? When you get injected with a flu shot, you know what they're injecting you with? The flu. Because somehow injecting you with the thing you're trying to stay away from builds immunity. Uh, in other words, it begins to build resistance towards that thing so that it does not have any ill effects. And so he says, I'm going to cure you from the very thing. I'm going to use the very thing that's trying to kill you. To cure you. If you're in this place, shout glory. How many, all right, now you're going to know how old I am when I start talking about this. How many of you remember a movie called Outbreak? Outbreak. Outbreak is a movie, hallelujah, about a, a, a virus that goes airborne throughout the world. And it is threatening to wipe out 
the planet. When we say airborne, that means you can get it from somebody breathing on you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so a whole region has been affected. And so the government determines, all right, in order to save the world, let's drop a bomb on that region, hallelujah, in an attempt to save the rest of the world. But then you have a man named Dustin Hoffman and Cooper Gooder Jr. who says, you know what? You don't got to do that. You don't got to kill all these innocent people. All we got to do is find the host. You don't hear me. In other words, if it started with a little monkey who had rabies that bit a little girl, then all we got to do is find that monkey. And this is why God told Moses, hallelujah, if you want to deal with the issue of the snake, take brass and beat it until it looks like the thing that bit you. If you're in this place, shout glory. And so Moses lifts up the very evil we have been infected by. Isn't that something? Now watch this, because I need you to get a picture of this. There's at least two million people that got set free from Egypt. So Moses is leading about, you got to be some kind of, you know, I'm having a hard enough time leading about 300 people, let alone two million people. Amen, somebody. And so watch this. He's leading two million people. What's happening here is that they have been bitten. So a good part of them are on the floor. A lot of them have died according to the text. And now a lot of them have been infected, are on the floor, and are dying. It is a picture of the consequence of sin. Once the poison is in, there is absolutely nothing that they can do to save themselves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can't save yourself. You need a savior. Because of the poison of sin. And so watch this. They're on the ground. They're in a low place. They're in a position they can't get themselves out of. They've been infected and they are dying. That is the picture and the result of sin. Amen. But God tells Moses, Moses, I know they're down. I know they're in a bad place. I know they're dying. But if you can just get them to look up. If you can just get them to look up, hallelujah, they can receive what they need. Are you blessed in here, church? I heard, a, I heard an illustration, hallelujah, about a man who was a doctor who was working in Africa uh, helping uh, fight the virus of Ebola. The Ebola virus, amen. He was so invested in helping the people that were infected that he got infected himself. Watch this. And the problem was that there was a shortage of the antidote. And so there was no serum or there was very little serum. So what this doctor did was that he gave the little bit of serum that was left to patients selflessly. And now he is dying. And the most amazing thing happened. I was blown away when I heard the story because I found out that they were able to save him. And I said, wait a minute. If there was no more serum, no more antidote, how in the world did they save him? And here's what I found out. They gave him a blood transfusion. Look at somebody real quick and tell them it was the blood that did it. 
Watch this, watch this. Not just any old blood, but they took the blood from a man who had previously been infected and overcame. You didn't hear what I just said. I said they took, they took the blood, hallelujah, from one who was previously infected and overcame. And something about the blood of an overcomer, something about the blood, hallelujah, from that person who survived, uh, that built immunity, hallelujah. See, this is why you often hear me say something like, hallelujah, I'll never receive from anybody anything if you haven't been through anything. Because it's only when you've been through something, hallelujah, that you can help me when I'm going through something. I wonder if I got any survivors in the room this morning because if you are a survivor if you are an overcomer if you are one hallelujah who should have been down who should have been dead but you still here you qualify to minister to somebody else who's going through because you've been there and you've done that Woo! God have mercy in here in other words healing came through the affliction let me put it to you another way. The serum that heals you is made from the venom that bit you. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes, watch this, the very thing that curses you is the thing God uses to bless you. God help me in here. If Joseph were here, Joseph would say, you meant it for evil. But God intended it for my good. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. Are you following what I'm saying? You meant it for evil. I like the way Genesis 12 says it. Uh, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. The very curse you shoot my way, hallelujah, becomes a curse unto you. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. If Joseph were here, he would testify. That's why I was glad you hated me. I was glad you hated on me. Because you hating on me, God used to promote me. This is why you'll often hear me say, hallelujah, that this year you should make sure and use your haters as elevators. <laughs> Going back to that man, watch this, who was a doctor helping people with Ebola who ended up getting infected, watch this now, this is very powerful. He would say, I needed someone who was sick to make me well. Let me put it to you the Bible way. Jesus became sin to heal the sinner. I said he became sin in order to heal the sinner, in order to free you from a sickness You could not recover from on your own. Oh, are you in this place, church? I'm finishing. Watch this. There's another verse in the Bible I wanted to share with you. I'm just going to quote it for the sake of time. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, watch this. And some of you are familiar with this, but let me give you the twist. There hath no temptation taken you or taken hold of you, but such as is common to man. You know, sometimes we're scared to confess what we're going through because we think we're the only one. Let me help you in here. That scripture right there lets you know that whatever you've been through, someone else has been through too. It's common. It's common. 
Amen, somebody. Watch this. Let me read it again. There had no temptation taken hold of you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Yes, he is. He will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which ye are able to bear. But with the temptation will also make a way to escape that you are able to bear it. Hallelujah. My God, help me in here. So that's just another way of saying that the solution is in the problem. The minute the problem exists, the solution is already there. Are you in this place, church? The escape is there along with the trouble so that you can bear it. Ooh. In other words, the antidote comes from the poison. The serum comes from the venom. You know, I'm reminded of when Goliath, hallelujah, pulls out a sword for little David and says, I'm going to cut your head off. And the very sword that was meant to cut David's head off is the sword that David uses to cut the head of the giant. The very same thing that was supposed to kill me, God used to kill it. God, help me in this place. If you're blessed in here, shout glory. glory. Some of you right now are upset at your weakness. I need real people right now. I need, we're, we're wrapping it up, hallelujah, but I just need some real folk in church. Don't act cute in church today. Amen. We got visitors in the house. I need some real folks in the house, hallelujah. Sometimes we get mad at our weakness. Some of you have gotten mad enough at your weakness, hallelujah, that you've even prayed, God, take this thing away. Come on, somebody, hallelujah. God, help me with this thing. Take this thing away. Away, hallelujah. Some of you have been real honest with God. I don't want to keep doing this. God, help me with this. Hallelujah. Watch this. Hallelujah. But what if I told you, what if I told you, hallelujah, that you ought not to ask God to take it away because your God is the kind of God, hallelujah, that could take what you view as a weakness today and make it a strength tomorrow. God, help me in here. I said he can take what you view as a weakness today and make it a strength Tomorrow, hallelujah, my Bible says, watch this, that God gets glory, watch this, in making his strength perfect in your weakness. That's why on another occasion he said, let the weak say, oh, come on, church, hallelujah. He said, let the weak say, I am strong. I'm amazed, hallelujah, how God could use certain people in the Bible. Come on, somebody. I'm amazed at how God could use a Peter. How in the world can you use big mouth, emotional Peter who always talking out his head, who's always who told Jesus, Jesus, these other 11 will leave you just downplaying his own buddies these other 11 will leave you but I will never leave you and Jesus told him Peter tonight tonight in one night you are going to deny me three times you were to think because most of you will give up on somebody after they deny you y'all not saying nothing in here most of you won't even give somebody a second chance deny me once and we're done that's most of us. Somebody else, hallelujah, maybe a second chance. Maybe. I'll give you another chance. But deny them again. But Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Watch this. But then after that, when thou art converted, you will strengthen your brethren. Ooh, 
your weakness today, Peter, is going to become a strength tomorrow. You didn't hear what I just said. Your weakness today is going to become a strength tomorrow. How in the world can God use Moses to deliver two million people out of Egyptian bondage when Moses is a murderer? He killed a man. And God says, I want you to bring life to men, even though you killed a man. He's the God of the turnaround. God, help me in this place. I say, he's the God of the turnaround. How, let me help you in here. How in the world can God use a, a Paul? How can you use Paul, God, when Paul was a Christian terrorist? When Paul was killing Christians in the beginning in the name of religion and in the name of his God. And after killing several Christians, God said, I'm going to make him an instrument for my will to bring the gospel to the Gentile nation. He's going to be responsible for writing most of the New Testament. And more people are going to come through Jesus through him. Because he's the God of the turnaround. Hallelujah. Do I got anybody in here that can testify? God took my mess and turned it into a message. Hallelujah. And today I am the instrument of the Lord. Not because I'm good, but because he's the God of the turnaround. If God has turned your life around, take about 50 seconds right now and give him a real praise. Give him a real praise, somebody who knows, hallelujah, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have been swallowed up. But God, woo, woo, you meant it for evil, but God. people in the house do I got a people that are full of gratitude hallelujah I was down I was out I was poisoned I was infected I was snake bin but one day I looked up and when I looked up whoo, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Woo. Woo, God. Just in case you still haven't got it, let me give you one more example real quickly. How can God use Aaron? Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron is the man who took brass on another occasion and built a golden calf. And had the people dancing around, because you know that story, right? Had the people dancing around that golden calf naked. And Aaron was joining them. And guess what? God's getting ready, watch this now, to create a priesthood. Watch this, after he tells Moses to build a tabernacle so God could come and dwell with his people. And he needs somebody to be in charge. Ah, God, of the house. He needs somebody who's going to be not just a priest, but a high priest. Somebody who has permission to slip past the veil into the holies of holies where the raw Shekinah presence of almighty God was. And when God got ready to appoint that person, he said, Moses, anoint Aaron. Aaron? The one who was dancing naked? Around 
a golden calf, worshiping an idol? And God said, in essence, watch this. He's dancing naked now, but I'm preparing priestly garments for him. You better be careful who you dare put your foot on now. Hallelujah. Because you just never know who God is going to raise up. I said he's the God of the turnaround. Hallelujah. He chooses the least likely things in this world to condemn the wise. That's how he gets glory. Mm. I'm going to bring beauty out of these ashes. I'm going to bring joy out of your mourning. I'm going to bring victory out of your defeat. I'm going to turn it around. Ain't nobody can witness to a drug addict like somebody who was a drug addict. God, help me in here. Ain't nobody can witness to a prostitute, hallelujah, like somebody who got delivered from prostitution. Ain't nobody can minister to hurting people like people who have been hurt. If you've never been through anything, you can't help me. I'm going through right now. Mm. The problem with many of us, even in this place today, is that we have not seen our past correctly. You need to catch what I just said. You have not seen your past correctly. God's going to use what you've been through for his glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. These light afflictions that are but for a moment. These light afflictions. Afflictions have weight. These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me. What I'm going through is working for me. These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me. A far more exceeding weight of glory. Affliction has weight. Glory has weight, but the weight of glory is greater than the weight of affliction. So here's what I get out of that. The greater the affliction, the greater the glory. The greater the affliction, the greater the glory. Amen, somebody. You have to see your past correctly. Amen. Did you not know that today's medical medical logo, the the icon or the symbol for medicine is exactly what Numbers 21 talks about. Can you see it up there? I know it's vague, but can you see it on on the TV screen? Amen. What is that? It is a pole, a stick with a snake on it. I wonder if, if those that are in the medical field understand where that came from. I hope they're teaching them where it came from. Because real healing comes from the Lord. I thank God for physicians, but my Bible calls him the great physician. And even when the doctor says we can't do nothing, it's not over until God says it's over. I wonder if I got anybody in here that can testify that he's still a healer. That he sits on the throne and he's still in the healing business. And if you're sick in this place today, if you would just look up, God, help me in here. You can leave this place different than the way you came in. Ah, we bless your name, God. Do it, do it. 
Do it for the sake of a testimony. If not for them, for your name's sake. Even though they don't deserve it. For your name's sake and your name's sake alone. So the world could know that you sit high and you look low. Hallelujah. And you are a healer. Do it, Jesus. Heal somebody in their body right now. Whew. I got to close. I'm out of time. Can I just submit to you that to Christ, the cross was horrific. Horrific. Why do you say that, Pastor? If that were not true, he would not have prayed this prayer. God, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me. Now, let me ask you a question. Was he scared of the whip? Was he scared of the nails? No. Created the nails that were going to hold them on the cross. Was he scared of death? No, he wasn't scared of death. This is the man that passed by Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And after being in the tomb four days, the man came hopping out the tomb with his grave clothes on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So no, he's not scared of death. But here's what he did say. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'll tell you what was troubling him. The very fact that for a moment in time, he was going to be separated from the Father. God help me in here. That for a moment in time, he was going to represent everything that is contrary to what his father represents. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Woo, listen. Listen, put that, put that, put that. Yeah, there it goes right there. He became the picture of all the evil, all that evil represents. Amen. So, so watch this. On the cross... You think about it, he covered it. It's quiet in here. And because it's quiet in here, let me help you. Some of us are walking around with guilt we should not be carrying. Did you hear what I just said? Some of us, you don't have to say amen. We walk around with guilt that we should not be carrying. Abortion. was covered on that cross. Divorce. Something he don't like. Still covered. On that cross. Murder. There's people in prison right now. For every reason. Someone is locked up right now. Jesus shed blood. And covered it. Molestation covered by the blood. Not just, oh, oh, this might get you mad, but God's dealing with your heart right now. Not just for the molested, but for the molester. Blood was shed. For the murderer, blood was shed. Hear me when I tell you he had to cover everything or the cross wouldn't mean anything you name it you think about it and he bled for it and he covered it Whew. are you in this place he became the picture and the symbol you want to deal with the snake 
You want to deal with sin? Become sin. And he became it without doing it. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He died a shameful death openly and naked. He died in shame so that you wouldn't have to live in it. Did you hear what I just said? He died in shame so that you wouldn't have to live in shame. The Bible said, watch this, he bore our grief. Do you understand what that means? If he bore my grief, if he bore your grief, why are you still grieving? Not only your grief, your sorrow. I bore it. Why are you still carrying it if I got it? Why are you still carrying guilt? If I died in shame so that you wouldn't have to live in it. And there he is on the cross. And for a moment in time, the sins of the whole, hear me, the whole world are on his back. And the Bible says, the ground shakes. I believe the ground shakes because of all the sin that was concentrated in that one area. Not only does the ground shake, but the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, meaning that now we have access. It is a picture of the side of Jesus being pierced by the soldier, which gives the church entrance. Not only does it let us in, it lets him out. And it happened from the top, hear me, from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top, because this is not man's work. This is a heavenly work. And so it happens from the top down. Are you in this place? And I close with this. In the Old Testament, there is what we call a type and a shadow of that which is to come. You see a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrews used to sacrifice animals to cover their sins. And they had to do it every year. And every year they had to come sacrifice animals to cover their sin. It was called a sin offering. And what they would do, hallelujah, is that they had a brazing altar. It is a picture of the cross. They had a brazing altar. They would put the lamb on the altar and tie the lamb to the altar so it wouldn't get away. It is a picture of Jesus being nailed to the cross. Amen, somebody. They had a pan to catch the blood. They had fire to burn the lamb. But at the same time, the priest, one many call father, had to take the knife and slay the lamb. See, most people argue among themselves, who, who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Oh, I know who killed him. The Romans did. The Romans killed him. They crucified him. Somebody might say, no, it wasn't the Roman. It was the Jews. It was the religious people who wanted him dead and influenced the Roman people to crucify him. 
And somebody might say, it wasn't the Romans and it wasn't the Jews. It was us. It was our sin that killed them. But can I help you by telling you what the Bible says? Isaiah 53 says he was smitten of God. It pleased the father to bruise the son. Because that was the plan from the beginning. This is why your Bible says that the son was slain before the foundations of the world. It was the plan. The God who was the spirit, watch this, and could not die because spirits don't die, had to take on sinful flesh just to die. For you and me. Because if all men sinned and came short of the glory of God and all men's blood was infected, then it was going to take the blood of a man. This is why he's called a kinsman redeemer. He had to become kin to me in order to set me free. No other God makes that claim. Every other God you have to die for. Every other God says you have to behave, God help me in here, perfectly to get to heaven. Islam says follow the five pillars of Islam and if your goodness outweighs your sin, maybe you'll make it to heaven. Some religions say if I knock on enough doors, I might be one of the 144,000 that make it to heaven. If only 144,000 are going to make it, we could forget it. That probably happened in the first century. That's not what the text is talking about. Are you hearing what I'm saying? While Islam tells you, follow the five pillars... And if your good behavior outweighs your bad, you might make it to heaven. They'll turn around and tell you, but there is a guarantee. If you want to really make it, strap a bomb to your back. And kill yourself so that you can get to heaven. But Christianity says, you don't have to die because I'm going to die for you. So that you can live. That's grace. That's love. God, help me in here. Are you blessed, church? And so they put that lamb on the altar. It was the sacrificial lamb. And there were two animals used. Most people don't know this. Two animals used. The second animal was called the scapegoat. Amen? One represented the sacrifice. The other one represented the scapegoat. What the people would do symbolically is that they would put the iniquities of the whole nation on the scapegoat. And then after the lamb was crucified, they would smack the scapegoat and he would go running. But he would run with all the sins of the people on his back. And what you need to understand today is that Jesus Christ is not just your sacrificial lamb. He is your scapegoat goat 
He took all your sin upon his back. Ran with it. Sin no longer has power over you. Can you give God praise in this place? Come on, can you really give God praise?